Amen. Let us go to God. Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning that you are God and you change not, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're thankful, Lord, that your promises are yes and amen. We thank you, Lord God, because you so love the world that you came yourself, put yourself in the, the belly of a virgin, and you were born into this world to carry our sins, to go to the cross that we might have our sin debt paid because we couldn't pay it ourselves. Lord God, we're thankful this morning for the opportunity to be in the house of the Lord. Like the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, come. Let us go to the house of the Lord. I ask you, Lord, to prepare the hearts for receiving the word of God. We live by the word of God. You said man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Lord God, this morning we want to dine on the word of God. I ask you to anoint our pastor that she may be able to feed your sheep. When you came back, when you rose again, you asked Peter, you said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. And you said, feed my sheep. Well, this morning, that's what's going on. The feeding of the sheep and Lord, the sheep sheep are hungry. Some of the sheep are weary. Some of the sheep have been through some stuff and they need to be fed. I ask you, Lord, to anoint the words as they proceed out of the mouth of our pastor, that there might be healing in the house, that there might be deliverance in the house, that the spirit of the living God might reign in this house. We thank you and we praise you in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen and thank God. Morning. The children may be dismissed for Children's Church. And as a reminder, Sunday school began this week. And so every um, Sunday school began this week. And so every week at 9 a.m., there will be an adult Sunday school class held in the adult Sunday school room. But we also have some children's programs going on at 9 a.m. This morning, they learned about Jesus's baptism by John the Baptist. This was not a child. This was my husband who made this one. But here's an example, and you can see Jesus being baptized. <laughs> and my daughter wanted me to show this one, too. This was hers. Same thing. And some coloring crafts. So I just wanted to remind everyone that started this week, and it'll continue in the weeks to come. It was Austin and Stan helping with that. So if you have kids or no kids, or if you're a kid at heart and want to do crafts, we have that going on on Sunday mornings. We also still have our discovery groups going on. I know there's a Tuesday night Zoom group, and I think the idea for continuing Zoom throughout the winter is because it gets dark and cold and icy and stormy, but the roads aren't very icy, but still for your convenience, you can get on Zoom and have that Zoom group on Tuesday night, and there are other opportunities. So if you need an opportunity for discipleship or small group, just see me or Michelle, and we'll get you connected. Um, next up on my announcement list, have a big long list this week too. We have a blood drive coming up and that is going to be January 18th from 1 to 6 p.m. out here in the lobby area. There's a paper over there that gives you information on how to sign up. But I noticed if you do the QR code, it does a discovery church that's in the wrong state. So make sure if you sign up, <laughs> you sign up for the one that's in Canastota, New York. Um, and then also on February 5th, this is a Sunday, we'll have our annual meeting and we'll add a potluck. This will be after service. Um, in service, we might do some, it'll mostly be celebrating the past year and looking ahead towards the next year. So you won't want to miss that. And also, I've been trying to think, not sure how to do this, but I want to do a 21 days of prayer starting today. And so what that means, I don't have any big organization, but what that means is I want to challenge you all for 21 days to focus every day on praying for our church, our community, our leaders in the church and the leaders in our community. 
um, pray for the upcoming annual meeting and for all the planning that's going to go into this next year. Um, and pray, pray that we will be open to God's leading into this next year. Sometimes that, that can be the hardest thing is in our own heart. So pray for your own heart to be open to God's leading this new year. And also, if anyone feels led to lead a prayer meeting over these next 21 days, please see me. I would love to announce that and get people together for prayer. If you want to do a pray and go, we still have that going on. There's information out there on the bulletin where we, you go to different houses and you pray for them. And then you leave them a door hanger that says you've been prayed for and thought about. Um, so if anyone feels like doing one of those, just see me after service and we can get get connected, get talking about ways to pray for our community these 21 days. And hopefully after the 21 days, you'll still continue to pray for these things. But I think it's important to start our new year with a fresh focus on prayer for our community and our church. And last week, I mentioned a couple of different Bible reading plans. And I realized after service and talking to several people that I didn't explain myself very well, I had a Bible reading plan out on the worship center and it just contained three months. And I told you all it was three years. Well, it is a three-year plan. I just had three months out there, and I wrote down Sunday reading plan because that's the plan I use for my Sunday sermon. It's usually one of those scriptures. But this week, I put together a little simple bulletin, and in there, I wrote out a way that you can make this reading plan into a daily reading plan using that journal method of scripture, observation, application, and prayer and if you're not doing a daily Bible reading, I want to challenge you to do this, to not only read these scriptures, but to journal about it. So on Monday, January 9th, read John 1, 29 through 42, and write down the scripture, your observation, the application, how did it apply to your life and prayer, and see, see where that gets you in a week. I, I think it's a good practice to be reading the word, but also journaling about it. There's something about journaling that can be helpful. It can be cathartic. It can solidify things in your mind. And so i Put that out here so that it'll be a little clearer because last week I felt like I didn't give people very clear directions because I had several people come up to me and ask me about it. And so, um, but this Bible reading plan I've been using, it's called the Revised Common Lectionary. So if you were to Google it up, it is a three-year plan and we are in year A and it follows the church year. Um, so yeah, if you want to do more with it, there are a lot of resources on the Revised Common Lectionary. And also I... I saw a joke this past week on Facebook. It was on a clergy, a clergy page. So another pastor had posted it and it was this meme. It was a joke that said most pastors think that they're going to change the world and then they almost get fired for changing the bulletin. And I saw that and I was like, I'm doing the change in the bulletin this week. So um, we'll be doing some changes. I'm, I tried to make it simple. So something that you could look at during service that would have the information of what scripture, what psalm we're reading. And I'm hoping to incorporate more people reading the psalms. So if you enjoy reading scripture, let me know. I enjoyed hearing from Sandy this week and Michelle last week. That's something that I appreciate when there's more people involved in the service. And so today we are continuing in Matthew. And next week we'll begin a short series in 1 Corinthians. We'll be reading in just a minute from Matthew 3, 13 through 17. It's the story of Jesus's baptism. So that project the kids were working on, it goes along with the message today. Today in the church calendar for churches who follow the liturgical calendar, or the liturgical year, or the revised common lectionary today is known as the celebration of the Lord's baptism, the baptism of our Lord. And so today we're going to talk about Christ's 
baptism. It's a day when Christians from all over the world reflect on their own baptism. They're encouraged to remember your baptism. Do you remember your baptism? Have you been baptized? If you've been baptized, take a minute to remember your own baptism. What does your baptism mean to you? There's a Methodist church in Kansas City. It's a mega church of 15,000 members. It's one of, it is the largest Methodist church in the United States. And one of my friends used to work there and she gave me a tour of their facilities. And in the lobby, just as you're walking out of the sanctuary, there's this large fountain. It looks like a big rock and it has water running down the sides. And they say that this, this fountain is meant to be touched. You can touch the water running down the side as you're walking out of the sanctuary or walking in. And they say that the water is an important element of scripture. There are many stories and references to water in the Bible. And every time you leave their sanctuary, you're encouraged to remember your baptism. So today we are gonna remember our baptism. What does your baptism mean to you? So let's go to the scripture, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And if you're comfortable, you can stand in honor of the word. Hear the word of the Lord today. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, the heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. I appreciated the worship this morning. I noticed several of the songs were talking about the Holy Spirit anointing, the Holy Spirit falling and coming down on us. And I thought that goes well with the scripture today. <laughs> but all three of the gospels, all three, not all, there's four gospels, but all three of the synoptic gospels tell this story of Jesus's baptism. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Yeah, they got Matthew, Mark, Luke, that's three. <laughs> they all tell the same story. And so that's how we know this story is important. It was before Jesus began his ministry. It was before Jesus was tempted in the desert. John the Baptist, he had been baptizing people in the Jordan River. I'm taking this water to take a sip. I can fill my throat, not to baptize you all with it. But John the Baptist, he was baptizing people in the Jordan River, and he was preaching a baptism of repentance. He was saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, and they were confessing their sins and being baptized. John the Baptist was a radical man. The scriptures say that he wore clothes made out of camel hair and a leather belt, and he ate, he ate locusts and wild honey. He wasn't a conventional man, but he had many followers. They must have seen something in him. In fact, there were some people who thought he was the Messiah, so they were following him to hear his message of repentance. But John, he didn't want all of that attention. In fact, he says that Jesus must become greater and he must become less. And in Matthew 3.11, John says to his followers, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But one comes after me who is more powerful than I am 
whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And in the next passage, right after John is saying this, that the ones coming whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie, right after this, Jesus shows up at the Jordan River and asks John to baptize him. He has to be baptized by John. And you can tell that John is kind of shocked in his response because he says, I need to be baptized by you. Yet you come to me to be baptized. He was just talking about how the one more powerful than him, the one whose sandals he's not worthy to carry. And here he is, Jesus asking to be baptized. This is a story that has puzzled church leaders for centuries, for two millennia, for almost 2000 years. This question of why did Jesus get baptized? John was preaching a message of repentance, repent and be baptized. But what did Jesus have to repent of? The scriptures say that Jesus knew no sin. He was without sin. The author of Hebrews says he had been tempted in every single way, just as we are, yet he had no sin. So what did Jesus have to repent of? He didn't need the forgiveness of sins. This is a question that church leaders have been asking for nearly 2,000 years. And there's all sorts of theories and ideas and reasons in ways to try to explain why Jesus was baptized. And maybe you've heard some of them and maybe you have some opinions about it yourself. And I'm not gonna stand up here and try to explain it or give you a reason because I, I don't even know sometimes. But, but that question, it lingers in my mind. What is baptism all about? What are we remembering when we remember our baptism? What does your baptism mean to you? I was trying to remember my own baptism. And to be honest, my memory is kind of cloudy. It's kind of vague. I remember I was a teenager. I remember the baptismal was in the floor under the, the pulp, not pulpit, the platform. You had to go down in it. And I remember my best friend was baptized that same day. That's all I really remember from that day. And I was thinking about this at this church my friend used to work at, this big church where they have the fountain where you remember your baptism in that church. They regularly and routinely baptize infants. And I was thinking if you were baptized as an infant, how do you remember your baptism? They're called to remember your baptism, your call that you belong to God, that you've been adopted as a child of God, and that you are beloved by God. You are loved by God and you are a part of God's family. One of the things I've learned as a pastor is that baptism can be kind of controversial. I don't know if you know this, there's a long history in the church of some pretty horrific things. And I don't want to go into all of that because I didn't do all of the research. But I know, I personally know people who have left churches over disagreements about baptism. Some churches baptize infants and some people have a minimum age requirement. I've seen both. Some churches sprinkle water, some do pouring, some do immersion. And there are some churches that say if you aren't fully immersed, it doesn't count. And so maybe you have some of these strong feelings. When I was in seminary, one of my research projects was on baptism. Baptism is something I think few people fully understand. Baptism is a means of grace. And even after studying it for years in seminary, I still find myself struggling to fully understand its meaning. It's a means of grace. And so we don't have to fully understand it to receive it. But one thing I did learn is that there used to be a lot of superstition around baptism. Did you know that? Back in the day when babies were born, if it looked like the baby wasn't going to make it, they would rush in a priest 
so that the priest could baptize the baby because they believed that the baby hadn't been baptized, that the baby wouldn't make it to heaven. And we don't believe that here in the Church of the Nazarene. That's one thing I will say is we believe that God's grace is sufficient for those babies, that any baby who passes away too early, that God's grace is sufficient and that those babies are in the hands of God. You don't have to be baptized to get into heaven. That's one thing we believe. But on the other hand, I think sometimes people swing too far in the other direction and they think baptism doesn't mean anything at all. Some churches don't talk about baptism at all. And that's what I like about this call to remember your baptism because baptism is still important. And when it comes to the controversial positions, the Church of the Nazarene takes a middle position. We practice infant baptism, but we also practice infant dedication for those who would like their child to grow up to reach an age where the decision is made by them. Both positions are held within the denomination. In church, and the Church of the Nazarene also practices baptism by immersion and sprinkling and pouring. So here's what the Church of the Nazarene manual says about baptism. It says, we believe that Christian baptism commanded by our Lord is a sacrament signifying acceptance of the benefits of atonement and incorporation into the body of Christ. Baptism is a means of grace, proclaiming faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. It is to be administered to believers, indicating their full purpose of obedience in holiness and righteousness. As participants in the new covenant, young children and the morally innocent may be baptized upon request of parent or guardian. The church shall give assurance of Christian training. Baptism may be administered by sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. In other words, it doesn't matter if it's a sprinkling, a pouring, or immersion. I remember one Sunday at my previous church, we had baptism scheduled, and we were a multi-site church, which means first service, we had first service downtown, and we had second service 10 minutes away in another area of the town. And so we were... Sundays were always a rush to get from one location to the next, but this Sunday was especially rushed because we had baptism, and at the one church we had a trough that you have to drain, and it was a big ordeal, and so we're rushing to the next campus where they have a nice baptismal in the back, but when we got there, the water had been prepped two days earlier, but when we got there, we found out that there had been mice in the ceiling. <laughs> there had been mice in the ceiling, and something was dropping down. I didn't go to see. I don't know what fell down, but from what I understand, it was not water that you would want to be immersed in, and so it's moments like that that I'm thankful that our doctrine allows for sprinkling and pouring. And there are some churches who don't have access to the amount of water that is required for immersion. I think about our churches in Africa where they don't even have enough clean water to drink. And so that's one of the reasons we have sprinkling and pouring. But also there are people who aren't able to get into the water due to a disability or mobility challenges. And so it doesn't matter the method and it doesn't matter the age. Baptism is a gift from God. It's an incorporation into the family of God. And I love that the Church of the Nazarene Manual describes baptism as an incorporation into the family of God. In the early church, the baptismal font was thought of as a watery tomb and a watery womb. The imagery around the baptismal font symbolized this death and resurrection, this idea that people were being born again, and people would literally, they would take off all of their clothes. They would strip down naked. They would get down into the water, and they would go back as representing death, 
joining in Christ's death and then get raised again, symbolizing being risen with Christ. And then they would get out on the other side and put on brand new clothes. They would wear a whole, they would wear new clothes and take on a whole new name. It was a complete change of identity. They were leaving their old life behind. And it was the second birth. Their whole identity was changed. In the Middle East, where the Church of the Nazarene is active in missions, they have an active church that's growing there. In the Middle East, I heard about baptisms there where the people still change their names when they get baptized. When Muhammad got baptized, his name became Muhammad Paul. It was significant to them. It was symbolizing that they were joining a new family, a new faith tradition. Everything in their life had changed because they joined the story of Christ. In America, where there is a lot of cultural Christianity, I sometimes wonder if baptism has lost its significance because people can become Christian or Christian in name without ever really changing anything. It's not as dramatic as in the Middle East where it changes your whole social circle, your whole friend group. And the sacrament of baptism, I think it's important because it's a means of grace that symbolizes new birth, the new birth of adoption into the family of God. And so I'm going to ask this question again. Do you remember your own baptism? What did it change for you? In Matthew 3, John the Baptist was preaching a baptism of repentance. This word repentance in Greek, it's the word metanoia. It means the changing of mind or changing of understanding. Repentance is different from confession. Did you know that? Repentance, both are important, repentance and confession. A confession is where you admit something. I admit that I did something wrong. I'm confessing to you by admitting my wrong. But a repent, repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It's a change of understanding. It's a change of direction. When you repent, there is a change that happens. This root word for the Greek word metanoia, repentance, that's where we get the root word for the word metamorphosis. Do you know what metamorphosis is? Metamorphosis is the process of transformation. It's when the tadpole becomes a frog or a toad. It's when the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. The old is gone and the new is here. Metanoia is a transformation of our mind and our understanding. Just like with metamorphosis, with metanoia, the old is gone and the new is here. When we repent, there is a complete change of identity. When we're baptized, we are changing our identity from a person of the world to a child of God. We're no longer our old self. Just like the caterpillar is no longer a caterpillar when that metamorphosis takes place, the caterpillar is now a butterfly. And so when we remember our baptism, I think we were remembering who we are and whose we are. When we remember our baptism, we are remembering that we are a beloved child of God, that we are beloved children of God. And so when John was baptizing people in the Jordan, he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I like the way another version, the Common English Bible says it. It says, produce fruit that shows that you have changed your heart and mind. Produce fruit that shows that your hearts and lives has changed. We're not saved by works. We know that, right? We're not saved by what we do. And it's not what you do that saves you, but what you do flows out of who you are. When we have re repentance, you begin to naturally produce fruit. You begin to naturally produce the fruit of the Spirit, fruit that shows that you have changed hearts and lives. A few weeks ago, we talked about patience. That's a fruit of the Spirit. 
And when you live in the spirit, you naturally become a more patient person. You naturally have that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you're not producing those fruits, maybe you need to have a conversation with God about that Holy Spirit, that anointing falling on you. The fruit shows that you have a changed life. The fruit flows out of you from the Spirit. I think that one of the reasons baptism can be controversial is because people often see it as an arrival point. They waited to get baptized until they had their life in order. I'll get baptized when I start going to church regularly. I'll get baptized when I can finally quit this bad habit, quit drinking, or I'll get baptized when I get my life together. But baptism is not an arrival point. Baptism is not the end of the journey. Baptism is the new birth. It's the beginning. It's the starting point. You have not arrived when you get baptized. Baptism is just the beginning. It's the launching pad, the beginning of the journey. It's the commissioning. God is the one who does that transforming in your life. Our role is to simply say yes, to say yes to that transformation, to say yes to a life of discipleship, to say yes to being a member of the body of Christ, to say yes to being adopted into God's family. Romans 8, 14 through 17, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought you, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in the suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. And so I think that we remember our baptism so that we continue to grow in the spirit, continuing to grow in the understanding of what God is calling you to do as you live out your identity as a child of God. You're not done with your faith journey when you are baptized. Your journey is just beginning. In Sunday school this morning with the crafts, Stan was playing some videos of Jesus getting baptized in the Jordan River. In one of the videos, as John was baptizing Jesus, John says that he's given the authority by the Lord to baptize as a testament into a covenant to serve him. And I wrote down that phrase because I liked it. It's a testament into a covenant to serve him. And so when we're baptized, we're entering into that covenant that we are joining the family of God. We are covenanting to serve God. Baptism is a call into a lifetime of discipleship. So do you remember your own baptism? Do you remember that you are a part of the body of Christ? Do you remember that you have been adopted into the family of Christ? And if you've never been baptized, I would love to talk to you about baptism, about getting baptized, about being formally, corporately invited into the family of God. In the story of Jesus's baptism, I loved what the father says to his son at the end. In verse 17, it says, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I believe that's the same thing God says to all of us at our baptism. This is my child, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The invitation is there. We just need to accept it. 
There's a church in Oklahoma that every week, if you listen to their sermons, which I do, but every week they say the same phrase over and over. And it says, God's mind is made up about you and the news is good. God loves you. And that is very good news. I'm going to close in prayer and invite the worship team up. Lord, thank you for loving us, for being the first one to act on our behalf, for coming to us before we ever knew you, for loving us before we ever knew you existed. Lord, I thank you for this gift of baptism, for the invitation to be incorporated into your family, for the invitation to be adopted by you, to be co-heirs with Christ, as the Romans passage says. Lord, I pray for these people here that they will know how deeply you care for them, that how much you love them, that you care for us no matter where we are in this path, that you are just calling us home to be with you, Lord, to be your sons and daughters, Lord. I thank you for these people, and I pray that we will all continue to grow in your way, to continue to go in the way of righteousness, to follow your example. Lord, I thank you for for being that example to us. I thank you for all that you do, Lord, and we give this all to you, all the honor, glory, thanks, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we sing all kinds of songs here every week. Uh, we sing hymns. We sing all kinds of things. But uh, there are songs and there are songs, and many songs today we sing. Um, they're not what... I think what Sandy and I are used to, we, we, we're used to the gospel. And uh, this next song is, is a gospel. And the difference between that, uh, which are the inspirational songs that mostly churches sing these days are hymns, uh, the gospels focus on the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, back during the day, we sang the songs like, Living, he loved me, that's the life. Dying, he saved me, that's the death. And buried, he carried my spirit. So I want everybody to think of what we're about to sing. This is a gospel. It's not a hymn, which means that I want you to try to feel the spirit. Of, of what we're talking about, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 